Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning and happy Easter. We are still wishing each other happy Easter. We are in the end here of the octave of Easter. The church, when we have these mega solemnities, Christmas and Easter, the church says there's just too much to take in on one day. Give it eight days. Have an octave. And then we get the whole Easter season, which is 50 days compared to the 40 days of Lent. 50 days of feasting to our 40 days of fasting. That's the church that I love right there. Fast for 40 days. Feast for 50 days. That's what I love. I love that about being Catholic. There's so much to take in. So let's dive into this great solemnity of divine mercy. So uh, earlier in this week on Thursday on my day off, I popped over to some friends of mine, their house, to to visit with them for a little bit. And their 10-year-old son, Nick, was feeling pretty crummy. He's been still feeling pretty crummy for the past few days, running one of those high fevers and aches and chills, headache, all, all of it, right? He's just feeling awful, exhausted, the work. So... You can say a prayer for him. That'd be great. Anyway, so I was sitting with him on the couch for a little bit, and he was telling me how he had been awake that morning since 4 o'clock in the morning, came downstairs, was sitting on the couch. But he said, you know, something that was kind of cool about that was that when I sat down here at 4 o'clock in the morning, this, uh, the, this sitting next to him on the sofa table next to him was one of the, the Easter lilies. So they had Easter lilies in their house. He said that lily right there was totally closed up when I got down here at four o'clock in the morning. You know, picture those lilies all tightly closed up. And he said, as the day's gone on, I've watched it slowly open. It was a very exhilarating morning for him. Um, So he's watching this flower open. And it wasn't open yet all the way. It was still on its way to being fully open. And I said, I bet by the end of the day, I bet by the end of the day, it's gonna be all the way open, all the way open. Well, that was the memory that came back, or that story, that experience is what came back earlier this week when I was praying through this mystery of divine mercy. Because look, if we pause, and if we kind of look with our like Catholic sacramental lenses, our Catholic sacramental imagination, at everything that's surrounding the sanctuary right now, with how we decorate the church and the altar at Easter, We surround it with flowers. We surround it with bursting forth of life. That we we look through this mystical lens, this mystical view. Is that not what all of this life up here is declaring? All of these flowers are what? All the way open. Just all the way open. In as much as Easter is about new life, in as much as Easter is about light and new creation, Easter is equally just as much, if not more, about openness. Right, the stunning wonder of Easter morning is the opened tomb. Right? Jesus walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus were not our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures to us. As they got to Emmaus, he broke the bread and their eyes were opened and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. That Jesus comes and he opens their hearts, he opens their minds. That what happened and began on the cross, his opened side begins to pour forth the gift of new life and it's entering into opened hearts. Easter is just, so much, is just as much about openness. And again, these flowers, 
these flowers, they're declaring it to us. If we look through this Catholic sacramental lens, they're stretching, they're straining, they're like leaning upwards in this pining openness. Now, what is it in nature that coaxes the petals open of the flower but the warming rays of the risen sun? Stay with that. Stay with that for a moment. Stay with that image. There's no battle, right? There's no violence. There's no forcing the petals open. It's not as though like that lily sitting on that table. It wasn't, though as though, it wasn't as though that lily was saying, do I want to open up? Should I stay closed? Is it safe for me to open up? No, it's not how it works, right? That the flower, acting according to its nature, acting according to its nature, it effortlessly opens before the sun, exposing, listen, exposing what is most tender, the most tender inner parts of the flower's world. That's what happens. All of creation, we're seeing it right now as everything is springing to life. All of creation obeys the Creator perfectly in acting as God made it. All of the flowers are opening up. All of the buds are bursting forth. Everything, everything acts as God intended it in creation except one aspect of His creation. And that's us. Why is it that we so often remain hidden, enclosed, if you will, behind like defensive walls, like the apostles in the beginning of that gospel, behind the locked doors for fear? Why do we live in this posture of unwilling to let people in, to let people get close, unwilling to be vulnerable, thinking and wondering, suspecting, right, that it's probably best not to bring my heart out into the open. It's probably best to stay hidden. Ever since the fall, ever since the fall, our first parents have taught us the human heritage of hiding behind the fig leaves, staying closed up. But here's the thing, like we were made just to be like every flower around us. We were made to, just like that lily, effortlessly open before the sunrise or the risen sun. We were made to be in this posture of openness to him. So why don't we? Why don't we? Because in this fallen world that we live, we have come to learn, we've come to expect, we've come to believe that it is very dangerous for our hearts to come out from hiding. We've come to expect that we will not be met with love, that we won't be met with tenderness when those deeper parts of our hearts come out, that we'll be met instead with harshness or cruelty when those deeper parts come out into the light. Whether parts of beauty or parts of shame, we're expecting condemnation, rejection. Like our experience tells us that the journey of coming out from hiding, taking the fig leaves off, is a painful journey that's not worth it because either we get smoked out into hiding, out from hiding, or we get like stripped and it's all violent. Like, I remember when I was in fifth grade, uh, that was when you can start playing an instrument for the band at Hudson, uh, well, the elementary school. I wanted to be a drummer. I know that's not a surprise to many of you. Drummers were so cool. I wanted to be a drummer. So I signed up. I was a drummer. But the thing I didn't know about being a drummer is that you also had to play this dumb xylophone thing called the bells. 
I'm like, this is stupid. Why? I just want to drum. So I was never going to practice the bells, but here's the thing. We had to practice. We had to have this practice log filled out. You had to practice 30 minutes a day, and you had to have your parent sign your practice log, attesting to the fact that you practice 30 minutes a day. Well, I had seen my mom's signature before. <laughs> so you know where the story's going. So I had seen her signature before, and uh, I'm pretty artistic. So I'm like, I am not about to practice this dumb xylophone thing. So yeah, I practiced 30 minutes, Michelle Schultz, you know? And every single day for the next month, boom, 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 I was faithful to practicing my mom's signature in the practice log. Until one day, Mrs. Worthing, she was about 140 years old. She'd been teaching band since Mozart, and uh, she was checking the practice log. And she looked down at my mom's signature, and she goes, hey, Patrick, how does your mom spell her first name? I said, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. She goes, do you think your mom forgot how to spell her name? I'm like, Ugh. I, I just knew in that moment I was busted. I was busted. She says, come with me. And she had this like <laughs> crip keeper finger called me into her office and I stood there and she got on the phone and she called my mom. I could hear my mom. It was like the Christmas story <laughs> on the other side of the phone. She called my mom. She hung up the phone and then Mrs. Worthing brought me out in front of the entire fifth grade band. Okay, so all of my peers you're 10 years old, the entire fifth grade band, and she made me confess my sin to the entire fifth grade band. There are therapists who've bought yachts because of my pain and how much trauma I've been through. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it was awful. It was absolutely awful to stand there and to like, apologize for cheating the band out of practice time. You know, it was awful being smoked out from hiding. Or I remember I used to compete pretty at a, at a very high level in Taekwondo, traveling the country. I was on competitive teams, all sorts of things. And I was in a tournament uh, before my sophomore year of high school. I was fighting this guy. And in the midst of the fight, I just walked into the most amazing kick and his foot landed right here in his heel ripped a hole through my face. I've got a huge scar right here. I was unconscious in the air, landed on the ground, blood pouring out of my head. The EMS was called right away. They had me loaded up and they brought me to Akron Children's Hospital where I was treated for severe head trauma and I had 40 stitches, three layers of 40 stitches right here. And I'll remember, never forget the experience of being dazed and confused and I'm, I'm brought into the emergency room and there's all that bright light shining down on you and I could feel all the nurses and the trauma team with surgical scissors cutting off my, my equipment, cutting off my uniform and I'm just laying there, I'm, you know, 15, 16 years old and they're literally stripping me naked. And again, it was awful. Like, it was awful. Here's the thing. I think so many of us think that when we come before the Lord and have these deep parts of our hearts that we've been hiding or just keeping buried for a long time, that the journey out from hiding will be a lot like either one of those. But what if, friends, what if the Lord's approach is different? Like what if instead of smoking us out from hiding or ripping our masks off, that he does something different, that he chooses to allure us into a posture of abandonment? Like this is what divine mercy is telling us. Because here's the thing. 
He wants to get into those deepest places. He wants intimacy. Right? Intimacy means access to what is innermost. Access to what is innermost. And he desires access to those hidden recesses of our hearts, but he doesn't smoke us out and he doesn't rip us out from hiding. He wants to touch, if you will, the most sensitive places in our hearts, to touch our wounds. So what does he do? The brave champion, who is our Lord, he goes first. He takes the first step. This is why I love our Lord so much, because he's so kind and he's so humble. He's nothing like what we fear he might be. Look at how he treats Thomas in this gospel, right? Thomas, poor Thomas gets such a bad rap, right? Doubting Thomas. Look, if you were there, if I were there, every one of us would be doubting Thomas. You know why? Because dead people stay dead, (laughs) He wasn't stupid or incredulous for thinking this is too good to be true. We would all be like Thomas. He's not doubting Thomas. He's logical Thomas. He's heartbroken Thomas. He's, yeah, he's needy Thomas. He needed his own encounter. So the Lord, that first day of the week, he steps into the upper room through the locked doors. He has this unbelievable encounter with the apostles. He says to them, peace. Of all the things that he could have said to them that first morning, where were you? When I needed you, how could you have betrayed me? Of all the things he could have said, shalom was probably the last they would have expected. But he says peace, and he shows them his hands, he shows them his wounds, and he breathes upon them. All of this happens. It's as if he's saying to them, it's okay. It's okay. It's all going to be okay. Now, let me ask you this. Do you suppose that the Lord of glory, the Lord who defeated sin and death, who holds the keys of life and death in his hands, omnipotent power, omniscient in every way. Do you suppose that Lord of glory did not know that Thomas wasn't there when he was going to show up? Do you think he showed up and was like, hey, where's, where's Thomas? I should have done a head count before I appeared. No, he knew that Thomas was not there, which means that he showed up deliberately while Thomas wasn't there because he wanted to give Thomas, and through Thomas he wanted to give us a tremendous gift. He wanted to show us what mercy is. In a word, it's to touch the wounds. Now look, we don't know where Thomas was in that day, where he was after the events of Good Friday. He just is gone. Maybe he's just wandering the streets. Maybe he got apprehended. I like to think of Thomas just lost in sorrow and dejected and repeating in his own minds the words that he heard Jesus say at the Last Supper. It was Thomas who said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And it was Jesus who said to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. I picture Thomas repeating those words to himself over and over again. And like, he's dead though. He's dead. So now imagine Thomas, he finally rejoins the apostles in the upper room, and he, instead of seeing them dejected and downcast, he hears them jubilant and, and rejoicing, and he's just baffled and confused. And they're shaking him, saying, Thomas, he's here. He was raised. He was just here. He showed us his hands. He breathed on us. He said, whatever sins you forgive, all those, he's, he's spilling it out on him. And if you're Thomas, you're asking yourself, why didn't, why didn't I get to see this? Like, was I not worthy? What did I do? And then, is this even real? And so, with just such an honest expression of his heart, he says, I need to see this. Unless I see the wounds in his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. And then a week goes by. Did you catch that in the gospel? 
that Thomas sits in this for a week. What was that week like for him? As every day went by, and they're getting more joyous and more filled, and he's thinking, what did I do wrong? And then the moment happens where the Lord steps in and says to Thomas, seriously, Thomas, like you couldn't believe them? You made me come down here just for you? You're pathetic. Why couldn't you believe? It's not what he says. It's not what he says. He approaches Thomas like directly as if to say like, Thomas, I know this was hard for you. But Thomas, like whatever you need, here's my hands. You need to see them? Here's my hands. My side? Here's my side. Thomas, whatever you need, do not be unbelieving, but believe. Friends, I want to encourage you to take some time to meditate on the image that we have on the bulletin this week. It's, it's of this scene. It's one of my favorite paintings, Caravaggio's The Incredulity of Thomas. Notice the love in Jesus' eyes for him. The Lord goes first in all of this, friends, right? The Lord goes first, and he lowers himself to meet us wherever we are to accommodate himself to us. He allowed himself to be totally stripped naked and he's allowed himself to be pierced open and he's allowed himself to be made totally vulnerable, totally naked, totally exposed. He's opened the door to his heart and he's invited us inside. He's made the first move. Like he doesn't smoke us out. He doesn't rip our masks off. He says, I'm going to go all the way down. I will bear the wounds for you and let you touch my wounds so that you would let me touch your wounds. Friends, here's what divine mercy is declaring to us. We're going to land this plane here. If divine mercy proclaims anything to us, it's this. First, it's, it's safe to come out from hiding. With him, it's safe to come out from hiding. Every part of your heart, the little parts, the ugly parts, the ashamed parts, the hidden parts, the dark parts, the embarrassing parts, the beautiful parts, all of the parts of your heart, it's safe for them to come out in hiding from him. And second, this. The only way, and I mean the only way our wounds and our hurts and our shame, all of it ever gets healed, actually healed, is if we let him touch our wounds. You have to expose the wound to let him touch the wound. And then when we do that, then we cry out like Thomas. We cry out like that Easter lily beside Nick on the couch, that lily that's fully opened, fully surrendered, My Lord and my God, why? Because his mercy endures forever. 